Hello, everybody. Turn this up in my headphones, Charles. Turning it up. Hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today, because today we are revisiting one of our most favorite series, and that is the first Law series by Joe Abercrombie. And today we are continuing another one of our favorite discussions about the first Law, and that is characters. Now, we've done a lot of character studies in the past. We've done Logan Nine Fingers. We've done Glockta. We've done Jazal. We've done Bias. We've done the Dog Man. And do you have to ask yourself... <laughs> I like yourself, to think we did him right. And we did I like not to do think him we dirty. did him right as well. That is correct. And, and that just leaves really like Pharaoh and Wes, and we're doing Pharaoh today. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's pretty much what's happening. So (laughs) we're pumped to get into this one and to do these first law character profiles. This involves us talking about the entire first law original trilogy. So that means the blade itself before they're hanged and last argument of kings. So we will not be talking about anything beyond that point in the first law world i know i've been asked those kind of things before about these Mm -hmm. so if you have not yet read the blade itself before they're hanged last argument of kings and you don't want to have those three books spoiled for you then now's a good time to turn this down in your headphones because we're going to have a no holds barred conversation about pharaoh and you know what we're here to do today charles what are we here to do today we're here to get vengeance for Pharaoh. Vengeance. Now you're talking. And I think Pharaoh would be very interested in the idea of vengeance. And that's why we're here today. Now, it's taken us like five or, you know, these character studies to work our way around to Pharaoh. And like, okay, like Pharaoh's not everyone's favorite character. And that is fair if she's not your favorite character that's totally fine but we wanted to make sure that we dedicated some time exclusively to pharaoh we can go through the blade itself before they're hanged last argument of kings and let's pick out these moments in which pharaoh's character is more than just this uh, vengeful force like what is going on with pharaoh and and let's not do pharaoh dirty either dylan oh we don't want to do Pharaoh dirty. And let's be let's be genuine here, Charles. Yeah. It's not that Pharaoh is our favorite character either. Yeah. I mean, we we think that all of the point of view characters in Joe Abercrombie's First Law trilogy are extremely compelling, so it's like picking among favorite children here yeah. for us at the Fair. Friends Talking Fantasy podcast, but she's certainly not atop our first law character rankings no. but can those. i say this dylan can i say this i sure. enjoyed 
Pharaoh as a character, I appreciated her more the second read through than I did the first. My opinion of her has improved. Yes, and mine improves pretty much every read through that I've had when it comes to Pharaoh. And there's certain characters that kind of flatline for me at a certain point. I think that I don't necessarily keep, you know, I've read it, I think it's four times now. Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, you know, like West, love him as a character. We'll get into him next, it yeah. seems like. Um, but I don't know if this last read through, I was like, I gained a whole new appreciation for West. I don't think so. Who knows what I said on our episodes? Maybe <laughs> I said something like that. But we came to I some back, revelations about that. West already. We did. But we did. Did it enhance yeah. our appreciation? A little. <laughs> Yours definitely, I felt. But oh, anyway, I like Fer- we don't want to do Pharaoh. Yes. Yeah. We don't want to do Pharaoh dirty. No. We want to say things like what I'm about to say, which is I'd say that Pharaoh is the character for whom I have had the most increase of appreciation from my first read until my most recent read of the First Law trilogy. She had a lot to go because that, when I first read the First Law trilogy, I did kind of think of Pharaoh as this like one note. Okay, we get you on vengeance, whatever. And I was like, get me back in Logan Ninefingers head so <laughs> I can hear him talk about how we need to be realistic about these things. Right. But that being said, I think when you are stepping back and seeing more of what Joe Abercrombie is building with Pharaoh as a character mm-hmm. when you get these chances to reread. At least if you have a similar experience to mine, you'll learn you'll appreciate her a lot more than you did the first time around. And that anyway, that was my experience. Other people might just hate her uh, <laughs> all the way through. But I, I think she deserves some vengeance against all of these like really harsh criticisms, including my own the first time I read this series. So I think that's what we're here to do with Pharaoh is walk through her journey throughout the first law trilogy and try to take a look at her in her full holistic perspective and see if there's a lot more underlying her than just that one note of vengeance. And if we can find some, things we or really i think we've already found them if we can convey some things that we really like about her as a character that's well said dylan i agree completely pharaoh's thirst for vengeance is definitely like she's maxed out her personality on that it's cranked to 11 this idea of i just mm-hmm. want to get revenge and i'm always you know on to the next fight the these kind of things and i had the same experience as you first time around i'm like i get it you want vengeance but <laughs> Uh, I think the second read-through helped me read past that. And that, we're going to try and highlight some of those moments uh, today. And let's start with the blade itself. We meet Pharaoh uh, burying her friends out in the desert. And she meets Yulwe, one of the um, one of the other magi after Baez. And uh, Yulwe offers to help Pharaoh evade soldiers in exchange for a future favor. And we know how this goes. Yulwe is able to, like, blanket them in, like, invisibility. Or, you know, he's being able to use magic to where they can avoid uh, soldiers and walk through battlefields and, and fight eaters and things of this nature. Yeah. And I think Pharaoh comes into this book way later than 
Oh uh, yeah, probably like the every other of point of view character, right? Is that right. that's fair to say? Who else? Would, the dog man comes in earlier too. I think I could be yeah. wrong about that, but at least Pharaoh, who's way less likable on the surface than the dog. I mean, the dog man all around is more likable than. <laughs> Pharaoh as a just if you were to meet these two people, you oh, would yeah. probably get along a lot better with the dog man. I would agree <laughs> so, with that. Yes. <laughs> so I think even if the dog man, I think the blade itself, the dog man does not get a ton of time either, but he's right away a guy that you start to like. And Pharaoh's really rough around the edges. So when she doesn't get a lot of time and she only appears later in this story and kind of out of nowhere and in a different place and all this kind of stuff, it's kind of like you're already in this place where you're predisposed to not being a huge fan of her, I think, or at mm-hmm. least I was. And I think this is kind of where the, the narrative of Pharaoh started to get away is just that she comes in later uh, but she's already doing some. She's got some noble intentions. I yeah. think. Yeah. She's burying yeah. her comrades when a, a realistic person, I'll say, uh, would might probably not waste time doing that. <laughs> might not waste time. Be like, this is the desert. Every second is precious. I don't have a lot of water. I, I gotta keep moving. And she does have practical moments with water um, in these scenes and like how she manages it and everything like that. But. She takes the time to bury her comrades because that's just what you do. Even though she didn't know them that well, they were all just escaped prisoners. They were only a band for a short while. She does pay some sort of respect. She does have that kind of honor. And that's an interesting moment that gets a bit clouded in her interactions with, you know, Yolwe and, and, and the eaters where she's got it all cranked to 11. But for someone as tough on the exterior as Pharaoh, she does have a lot of these moments where she does want to do the right thing and what she thinks is right. Often at the sacrifice of her own, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Self-advancement or like self-preservation right. or, you know, wh- whatever the logical economical benefit to her would be she would she's willing to sacrifice some of that to like bury her her comrades that's a great comparison that you make to her and logan i -hmm. think when you or contrast really her way of dealing with these things which is pretty principled rather than realistic in this sense Mm -hmm. uh, where she knows the pragmatic thing to do here would just be to leave them she didn't even really care for them that much (laughs) yeah she doesn't even like them though she didn't know them really and she didn't care to know them exactly and she's still trying to do the right thing from an ideological perspective rather than from a just realistic perspective and in a lot of ways it makes me think now that she's almost flipping what logan is doing at a lot of points on its head where logan's so personable and likable on the outside Mm. and when you're in his head you also hear all these ways he's trying to justify how he's working so hard to be a good person even though he's making a bad decision in this moment and pharaoh's like the opposite she is in this moment anyway a doing a good thing principally by burying these people because that's what she thinks that they 
like people have that kind of dignity or deserve that kind of dignity. But all the while she's telling herself and telling us as readers that she's such a like bad person and she doesn't care about them and she hates everyone and she just wants vengeance on the Gurkish and all this kind of stuff. And we can almost, I think I did on my first read through, f- fail to see through all of that external oh, stuff and even the narrative that she's telling herself about how oh, she only cares about vengeance. Uh, we, it's hard to see through that to this more vulnerable inside where mm. she's actually caring about these people around her. Well, yeah, it's... No, <laughs> yeah, I, and Logan's another one that's hard to see for past the exterior and the narrative that he's telling himself, but in the opposite way. That's yep. that's very interesting, and, and I agree. And there's a few other moments where Farrah makes these similar decisions that we'll get into, uh, like I'm I'm thinking of the one with Severod and, and Last Argument of Kings that oh, I, yeah, that yeah, I yeah. really love as well. But there there's a few of these moments where she will decide to uh, go against, and, and she even like you know dares to have hope, even though she's so. Um, vengeful as well which i really like about her character but before we get into that there's some great moments here i mean yes she meets wes at one point at the entrance to adjua and she 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 gets into adjua and but she meets bias and this is a scene that you and i have talked about a lot and like a scene that we just admire so much and one of the reasons that i really like you know one of my favorite things about pharaoh is that she can see through the BS and she's not afraid to act on it immediately. So right away, she can tell that Baez is trying to manipulate her to do something. And then he like embarrasses her by tricking her into admitting she's colorblind by playing a trick on her, holding the, the two colored balls and it's like oh which one's blue and oh neither one is blue i just proved you're colorblind and so she's getting frustrated like she knows he's up to something and she didn't like the way she was being treated so she just hits Baez, the first of the magi right in the nose and we don't understand the and breaks his nose and we don't understand just who she hit (laughs) at this moment and that's what makes it like going back and looking at the scene being like oh snap like at this point bias hasn't really shown any kind of violence so she was really playing with fire here (laughs) right and it's such a great moment Charles. i'm so happy you're bringing us toward this in the conversation so there's two big pieces to this one is this right away pharaoh sees through Bias as the least oh, yeah. trustworthy person of the mix. We be, we get these scenes, we get these a lot in Pharaoh's perspective where she's just looking around and kind of like nailing every person in a pretty cynical way. But like <laughs> uh, when I say nailing, I mean like she has their number. She knows what she... She sees through everybody. Like, yeah, she sees through it. And I think it's kind of like Glockta and Pharaoh are the two characters that seem to have the best read on the other characters in the novel. Mm-hmm. With Glockta, it's very reasoned out, it's very logical, it's very cognitive. While with Pharaoh, it's very emotional and intuitive. But they both get to the place where 
they actually have both have a very good read on people and both of them know not to trust bias but yeah. they come from different places to it so i'd say pharaoh i i grabbed here uh, when she's looking around at the people when okay. she's meeting bias right before she hits him and she she's thinking about everyone logan blah 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 but then she goes uh that just left the old man. She didn't trust a one of these pinks, but she trusted this bald one least of all. Many deep lines on his face, round his eyes, round his nose, cruel lines, hard, heavy bones in his cheeks, big, thick hands, white hairs on the backs of them. If she had to kill these three for all the danger that the big one seemed to offer, and the big one's Logan here, hmm. she decided she would kill this bald one first. He had the look of a slaver in his eye, staring hmm. at her up and down all over, a cold look, judging what she might be worth. Bastard. That's, That's a, yeah. <laughs> a, that is exactly who Baez is. Yes, exactly. She saw right through him right away. Right. And we just don't know the kind of book that we're reading at this point right. when we get this, right? We don't know the true extent of Baez's contempt for humanity. Like, we don't know how right she is. We haven't even seen Baez turn one of Goyle's practicals into a bloody mist yet. Uh, so we we ha- this is really the first, like— chance we get to consider Baez as potentially being a harmful character I mean he does lose his temper at times but this is like a big clue like Pharaoh's literally saying this dude looks like a slaver you know <laughs> but yeah but because it's it's coming from Pharaoh and I don't know I always thought like she, like her name is so close to feral and like like a wild animal you know and she's just uh, portrayed that way a lot especially in the beginning it's like oh she's got crazy hair and she's wearing yeah. like raggedy clothes and she's very resourceful with tool uh, like weapons and tools and she's always talking about like looking around the room who's she gonna kill first like how's she gonna get out like oh i hate all these people but it's these mo- like she that's you know you could say that's part her devil blood which we don't know she has at this moment and it's also just the her circumstances where she was a slave for a long time and so those combined things plus a unforgiving environment you you can you can start to justify pharaoh's attributes and then when you get past that you can see look this is the person who i'd buy as before anybody else and could see in his eyes that he was an evil person and she did not like that about him and she wanted to attack him and and she did and she did she She breaks his nose so i mean come on there's no one more true to themselves in these moments than pharaoh so you have to admire her for that for sure yeah and this in that same chapter later it's uh, he basically tricks her and we get she springs across the table and there's this beautiful line of the look of surprise was just forming on the old pink's face as her fist crunched into his nose and it's again like you're saying charles is now that we've read through the entire first law trilogy and we know who bias is the idea of pharaoh just springing across the table and crunching her fist into this puppet master's nose, (laughs) the one who runs half the world, basically, is unbelievable. And what a moment. It's just one that you don't understand what's happening while it's happening so it's hard on your first read what how could you appreciate that moment for what it is you right. don't 
know who Baez is. There's no way to know who Baez is yet. Right. Uh, unless you trust Pharaoh right at the base, her the way she eyed him up. And like you were saying, Charles, her perspective is so cynical from having all these horrible experiences as a sex slave mm-hmm. that it's you expect that she would rightfully have a very, very single perspective on humanity and on someone who reminds her of a slaver. So you start to think, okay, it's more her biased perspective, but it was not in this case. It was her actually just having a very good read on bias. And the fact she had the gall to punch him is an incredible moment and one of my favorite moments in the series in retrospect it's like she punched Baez yeah. in the face yeah. <laughs> breaking Baez's nose is definitely an accomplishment and yeah and you gotta always appreciate pharaoh she i'm trying to think if she ever harmed someone that was innocent and i really don't think so i really think it was either uh people she was seeking vengeance on or people that she got a bad read on and herself even like uh, her backstory when she was being sold as a slave as a sex slave she carved up her own face <laughs> to lower her price to get back at you know the people that were trying to sell her you know and, and it's moments like that where you have to, you know she you have to look at her actions and yes yeah, she's always like tending towards the wild side and the violent side but it's always for pretty respectable reasons like you can understand her she's not just like killing indiscriminately like the bloody nine which who whom pharaoh gets to meet at the end of this book like the rising action of the you know like the climax and the action of the blade itself is when goyle's practicals i think it's goyle's practicals attack uh pharaoh and attack logan and so you get to see the, the extent of her fighting ability and all those fun moments. And I love the moment with Baez in the bath. But we already did the Baez episode. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, just interesting to see Pharaoh's reaction to the Bloody Nine and to see her fighting and everything. But, you know, it's, it's an action scene. It's fun. And that she saves Logan. Yes. She saves Logan during that. Yes. And there's like this another... idea of respect as well between the two of them that gets more developed than before they're hanged, but they definitely uh, see each other as, like, survivors and as warriors, and there's a mutual respect there. And Pharaoh is capable of, you know, having respect for people and compassion and, um, and, you know, doing the right thing. It's just she so can't process her feelings but she does it anyway and to me that's like a really interesting aspect of her character but yeah she saves logan's life in these scenes yeah yeah so that's not that's it for pharaoh and blade itself not a long uh not a long showing there but you know i think we get her best moments in before they are hanged during the fellowship of Besides the sea punching yeah that's punching Baez is is a big highlight and then i i really like this scene with severard in last argument of kings but uh more just because it caught me off guard when i read it but and before they're hanged is some of her best character work (laughs) i think we could say uh because we start to see her coming around like we start to understand that she's more than just her thirst for vengeance 
which is how Baez convinced her to come on this journey in the first place, which is always we, we had talked about this before. It's like, you know, Gandalf would be like, let's go on an adventure to save the good of humanity. And then Baez is like, hey, you want to not join that one. <laughs> yeah. And Baez is like, hey, you want to like kill your enemies, right? Like you want vengeance, right. don't you? It's like, OK, this is a different kind of book. So <laughs> and and. Uh, Pharaoh's willing to see that, yes, okay, I do want vengeance, and there is something to uh, your capabilities. Uh, you did just turn that guy into a bloody mist. You might be onto something. I'll, I'll come along, which is interesting. <laughs> totally agree. And I think that some of the best moments for Pharaoh and before they're hanged again come from her ability to intuit this great read on the characters around her. Mm-hmm. And I think if you tr- if you just trust the way Pharaoh views a lot of these characters because she is so cynical and these ca- and we're in a Joe Abercrombie novel here everyone right. so he I think he portrays his characters in such a for lack of a better word grim dark way in which they have such awful part to them even if they do have a lot of them uh, uh capability for good that pharaoh's it's kind of that glockta thing again right we mm-hmm. talked about how glockta seems most aware that he's in a grimdark novel so he has this very pessimistic view of humanity and of just the world around him and all this kind of stuff and that actually serves him really well in a joe abercrombie book pharaoh kind of has that too and she has these great reads on people and we get there's a chapter and before they're hanged early on where they're just kind of doing fellowship of the seed stuff and <laughs> we get this about giselle which i think you'll enjoy oh, hearing again, I, I bet i will Damn Union Boy, with his stiff back, sitting in his saddle like a king, sits on his throne, (laughs) as though being born with a good-shaped face was an achievement to be endlessly proud of. (laughs) He was pretty and neat and dainty as a princess. (laughs) Pharaoh (laughs) smiled grimly to herself. The princess of the Union, that's what he was. She hated fine-looking people even more than ugly ones. Beauty was never to be trusted." And so she does this. She, first of all, kind of gets this moment where she thinks of him as a king, which is great foreshadowing from uh, the deft hand of Joe Abercrombie. (laughs) But this line of as though being born with a good shaped face was an achievement to be endlessly proud of is so where Giselle's at at the start of Before They Were Hanged. (laughs) Yes, that that is a great way to summarize Giselle for sure, because he doesn't see the difference between like privileged and like earn respect, you know, he's like to him. It's, it's all like, Oh, people should like me because I was born into a noble family like that. And I'm good looking like, yeah. Like what more do you want from me? (laughs) So, uh, Pharaoh who's had to fight for everything just sees right through that immediately and detests it. And I love that her instinct pretty early on in this fellowship is to just bail. Because <laughs> Baez is starting yeah. to like downplay her questions and she's starting to realize that these people are kind of foolish and aimless. And so she's like, peace out. I, I don't need this in my life, which I appreciate. I feel like there's so many moments in fantasy quests where bailing just seems like the best option and uh, pharaoh is brave enough to actually choose that decision to bail but it's only logan's philosophies and 
and uh, gentle nature that uh, in these moments that uh, makes her decide to stay. And it's just a fun moment. I agree. This is one of my standout moments for me in the series. Just this interaction between Logan and Pharaoh, where he does this whole, oh, I'll do you a deal. You watch my back. I'll watch yours. I'll stick. You'll stick. What do you say? And it's just, it's a one character that Pharaoh can respect because she's seen him fight. She Mm -hmm. can see all the scars on his face. She knows he's been through a lot and she doesn't have that problem with him that she has with someone like Jazal, where it's just like, this kid hasn't been through anything at all. And he is, (laughs) I think she does think of him as an idiot. Yes. Um, I think as we said in our Jazal episode, we think there's more than meets the eye with Jazal, but I understand why Pharaoh sees him that way at this point. And yeah, uh, Logan and her just kind of get each other in this place of they're both accept that, hey, like we've got we've got no one else here yeah. and we're it's the a two tough that world out there yeah. yeah so i mean we've already gone through far enough here and guess we're gonna just have to trust each other because what's the alternative right and i don't know they're both realistic about those things there yeah and i really it, it brings to mind like what is like pharaoh's motivations even at this point because she's already bailed on this idea of the quest And I really just think that it's the promise of having someone who is, you know, capable watching your back. And this idea that like, hey, like she acknowledged even as much of a loner as Pharaoh is a lot of the time, I do think that she acknowledges and even like subconsciously desires companionship and she sees someone capable in logan and when logan was able to be emotionally vulnerable like i don't think pharaoh's capable of that at this moment or ever but she's willing to accept the deal like that's okay for her she would have never proposed it but she's like that makes sense deal and that in large part comes from her desire just to be part of a you know a duo where she can trust on logan to watch her back and she just wants that yeah i agree with you there i do think she shows some moments of vulnerability and we'll get into mm-hmm. those when her you know it's pharaoh's version of vulnerability yes. so it's only so much but she does show some when her and logan get intimate later in before they are hanged so we'll get there though I'll let you right know. right but your your general sentiment i totally agree with yeah, and, and there are these, at the end of this book, we get some test of her vulnerability. And it's it's always kind of endearing when she does become vulnerable because you know how difficult it is for her to show even the smallest crack in that vengeful exterior. So these moments where she is like, okay, deal. Like just by accepting the deal, she's admitting some vulnerability. And it's, it's like, oh, it's kind of actually uh eye-opening for us about about pharaoh as an individual so i agree charles and you have me thinking again in a way in which she contrasts with logan in the sense of the service that their backstory does or doesn't do for them Mm -hmm. and in logan's case we dismiss his 
atrocities <laughs> that he has committed in his backstory with this kind of hand wave of like, well, that's in the past. He's trying to be a better person. Forget about backstory when it comes to him. And we do, of course, see him revert to a lot of those behaviors by oh, the yeah. end. Um, but with Pharaoh, I think, and I think this isn't, like something wrong with readers for doing that. I definitely do that too. We we take the story we're given much more seriously than what we're told happened before we started reading this. Right. And I think that Pharaoh's backstory is one that when you stop and think about the idea of her having been a sex slave and dealing with all that stuff, it makes a lot of sense that after a horrible horrible life in which every time she's shown any vulnerability it's been abused by those who have power over her that she would struggle with these kind of things oh yeah and would not want to let anyone in but in the same way we almost as readers have a tendency i think or i'll say i did on my first read I had a tendency to, even though I conceptually understood, oh, yeah, she was a sex slave and now she's like this. It's hard for us to give her the same credit that I think she deserves as if it happened on the page. And then we'd be like, oh, like that, that really messed her up and that's why she's this way. But Joe's asking us to, I think, with Pharaoh's character, just understand that someone who's been through everything she's been through would be like this and it does her almost a disservice in some ways that we it's hard sometimes to give her the credit she deserves for having had such a terrible life until this point and makes sense why she's like this that's i agree a hundred percent and i would take it a step further it's not even just her tragic backstory which is tragic it is her nature because in these moments it is revealed to us that pharaoh is devil-blooded which means she is a descendant of a demon. And yes, it's a small part, you know, because we're so removed from the age of magic or whatever that 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 Pharaoh has an unusually high amount of devil blood and it's an incredibly rare thing. And because you have the blood of a demon, you're going to be just a little more agitated in general, I believe is what you're kind of, what's what you're led to believe. Maybe. I I mean it's a tiny fraction like you mentioned Charles of her blood and I guess I'm just skeptical about how much I just don't think we know it's open to interpretation in Joe's I mean, yeah, world she's the only one yeah how we, much that actually affects people that they have that I'm willing to bet it plays just, a part or at least we're you know it's it's a convincing it's narrative that it plays a part right I mean to say that someone has devil blood and then to find out that they're, you know, acting like they are prone to like aggression and all these other things. It's like, okay, you can buy into that. Uh, She doesn't feel pain. So she's more willing to take certain risks or do certain actions. She can see further, hear better, all these other things. So, and those get put to the test as they go on the fellowship of the sea. They're fighting all these bandits, uh, they, you, they're 
what I like about Pharaoh and Logan in these scenes is that they also kind of like help Jazal have breakthrough moments while they're on the Fellowship of the Seed because Jazal, in his mind, sees them and they're like, oh, they're basically like barbaric animals. Just as Pharaoh's looking at him and being like, oh, the princess of the union, he's looking at them like, oh, they stink in there. They're acting like animals. I don't want to be anything like them. And then they come to some mutual understanding and even earn a little respect from each other at certain moments. I don't know if it gets that far between Jazal and Pharaoh, but there are moments and Pharaoh actually, when Jazal gets wounded is actually the one that like stitches him up and, and that's true. Does have a little more respect for him in those moments. And they actually all fight together and she's kind of like, yeah, she's putting him down, but she's also tolerating him. And, even the idea of tolerating him is almost kind of like an endorsement to me. Like it's almost like a sign of like a of like some sort of affinity, where it's like, okay, that's the best you're gonna get coming from where you were to where you are now. The fact that she's like letting you travel behind her is already like a breakthrough, you know. So it's it's kind of fun to watch those moments develop on these and this fellowship and this is like the most wholesome the series ever gets is where they all kind of start to like each other and they all get improved and like yeah you know what war is horrible we shouldn't be fighting we should just appreciate each other and we've had so much fun we're sharing stories we're learning about each other and then the minute they start stop traveling it all reverts but in these moments it's as, it's as wholesome as it gets and to have someone like pharaoh in, in the mix like uh stitching up Jazal, it's it speaks a lot it does i think that's fair it's funny to hear the word wholesome applied to joe abercrombie's <laughs> work but i think it's fair when you make it relative like that to say it's as wholesome as it gets yes which is not that wholesome in joe abercrombie uh in the yeah, larger like she picture still thinks is yeah, an idiot like, and is stupid yes. and in- incapable like wants them up from a baby but she's at least uh, putting up with him and considers him part of the team Sure, as wholesome as Joe Abercrombie gets, but you do have to be realistic about these things. (laughs) It's still not going to be that wholesome. So, yeah, but we do. I do think we get these moments of vulnerability from the whole crew, pretty much, except maybe Baez. I don't think Baez is. He tells his story. He opens up. Yeah, but he lies. Yeah, it's totally. It's all. It's it was all a way to make a narrative of him as this more sympathetic because it's it's how he it's a lie about how he actually loved Ptolemy. Oh yeah, it's totally sociopathic. But in the moment, we don't know Baez's true nature. It feels vulnerable. He is telling them the story, but it's all part of this narrative that is a complete lie (laughs) because he is an insane person. (laughs) Yeah, there's Baez. I. (laughs) <laughs> if he ever had a vulnerable bone in his body or a, it like died well before I mean, he's, that. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I think he's a petty, insecure person underneath it all, but he's, I don't think he's in touch with that side of himself. He's just too bit. He's like very narcissistic. Right. right. Anyway, let's not, we've talked about bias quite yeah, a bit that, in that making a Magi yeah. episode. So that was the first one we ever did. I do believe yes. of the character studies. No, I think it was second after being realistic about Logan. Knight was figures, it? If I'm remembering correctly. Have I to think go back so. And check because the, the whole tapes. character profile idea, I think stemmed from just the, the phrase 
being realistic about Logan Ninefinger. I remember so being like, pretty excited about making a Magi in our uh, yes, in our last Argument of Kings episode. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I, anyway, I don't remember, but yes. uh, I'm willing to believe I'm wrong though. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's always a good start. I'm willing to believe I'm wrong too. So let's uh, let the, with that the being said, <laughs> uh, we'll smash cut to. Uh, Okay, we are in this, we're in Alcos, we're in the Imperial Senate building, and of all things, the Shanka attack. Baez crumbles the buildings around him to ward off the horde of Shanka, and when he does that, Pharaoh and Logan get separated and fall down like a chasm uh, in, in, in all of the commotion. And something happens uh, when Logan and Pharaoh are underground by themselves, right, Dylan? Yeah, well, they have sex. That's what happens. I mean, they, yeah, and it's this interesting moment because they've been looking out for each other for a while, and I don't know. I'm trying to remember if on my first read-through I had any sense that this might be a relationship building well logan is like oh it's been a long time since he's like traveled with a woman and he was like all this stuff and and then pharaoh's like okay i'll stay if you watch my back so like it's like in the realm of possibility it's just hard to think of pharaoh that way uh yeah especially in these moments um and even when it happens, like, she's the one that makes the proposal, like, seemingly out of nowhere. And she asks in a very crude way with cursing and all yeah, this. And Logan's, say yeah, and Logan's just like, what? <laughs> yeah, she's just like, on the clean podcast, I think people will fill in the gaps here. She just says, you want to F? And... <laughs> And he and the next line is he looked up mouth hanging open, not sure if he could have heard right. Eh? And it's like <laughs> yeah. A is a yeah, great response Logan, to that like guttural noises. A, it's, yeah, like, ah. it's like <laughs> yeah. that's confusion. probably Stephen Pacey probably nailed that as a, oh, gosh. Like a grunt, like a uh. <laughs> I was I was on my I was in my car like either going to or from work and this scene was playing and it was just so ridiculous. Stephen Pacey, the audiobook narrator goes a hundred and ten percent into the scene he's like making different moaning noises for each character and he's going back and forth and he is selling it as and it's like the most awkward hilarious like romance scene i've ever read <laughs> it's because it's not romantic in any way because pharaoh sets the tone right away with being so direct transactional and, it feels. yes and logan is very confused <laughs> And yes. that just permeates through the whole scene, the whole encounter. And, uh... and so, so I think, and this moment is one where, again, when you think of her backstory, what it actually means. So yes, it feels transactional. And I would guess that a lot of that is because Pharaoh's only experience essentially with sex is being a sex slave. Mm. and Or maybe she's actually, that's probably not true. She's probably had other uh, other times like the what she's having with logan right now mm-hmm. i think those are alluded to but for the most part her experiences were i mean transactional probably isn't even accurate because she was just i just think she's not she doesn't want to get but into the um, like, feelings of it it's like she doesn't want to start getting emotional and things like that well she's afraid yeah, of yeah. It. she's afraid of vulnerability because she's afraid of like letting herself 
laying someone in and giving them the chance to hurt her. But and she it's does kind of, it like Logan, so really it comes off exterior. as this, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and then it ends up being this really awkward sex scene. Between it's really well written, her, but, but it's so. See... And I was I was, I was kind of cracking I... up at moments because it was just so outrageous, like how not traditional this romance scene was. And uh, I don't I don't know it 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 felt honest to the characters and it felt honest to the oh, world yes. that Joe Abercrombie is building in the first law. And it's like oh look it's the it's like the two main characters that you think would you know maybe get together and. Uh, they're getting together, but it's like, okay, well, what's that scene like? <laughs> it's not pretty. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and we have another sex scene later with Giselle and Artie that is was in its own way. Yeah. Very strange. <laughs> so, uh, but extremely well written from the perspective of being realistic about these things and being true to the characters. And I think if we're thinking about this one from the being true to the characters perspective, it's really intriguing to watch or that's a weird way to phrase this probably it's <laughs> i don't know it feels very genuine to the characters that both of them are while they're these incredible ferocious warriors when it's life and death when you put them <laughs> together yeah. by themselves having to be romantic and sexual with each other it is so they seem so scared yeah, and they're fumbling around and and they're, they're yeah. Fumbling, yeah that's so well and said it's, and that's part of what and the fact that these ferocious warriors seem scared in the context of a sexual encounter that might have some romantic implications to <laughs> yeah. it and that it feels true to the character is such a testament to Joe Abercrombie's writing and how well-rounded not just Logan, but also Pharaoh is as a character. Very well said. So <laughs> I want to give give the great Lord Grimdark credit. Yeah, there. gotta give him credit there. It's As you said, these are survivors. They're very realistic. They're very hard and they're very practical. And then you put them in in a scene that requires emotional expression and vulnerability, and they just totally are out of their depth. And it's a brilliant, brilliant, like, character work and brilliant way to continue this idea of, like, oh, just because you're great in one thing doesn't mean you're great in another thing, and, like, you know, twisting the knife and all these things that we're expecting out of a romance scene and all this other stuff. So, I, yeah, it's a, it's a great scene for all those reasons. Yeah. So... Totally agree. They, you know, the the next, you know, they, they, they move on and they encounter some shank. Uh, the bloody nine comes out, whatever. Blah, blah. The fellowship of the seed continues. It is a failure, which is a bummer. Uh, and <laughs> Logan and Pharaoh, you know, it, it gets to the scene where everyone's parting ways eventually. Like a lot of stuff happens. But as it relates to Pharaoh, the next thing that happens that matters for Pharaoh's character is when there's this unspoken moment or they say some things, but they're all the wrong things between Logan and Pharaoh, where one of them's kind of waiting for the other to be like, hey, do you just want to like hang out together for a while? I think she's like, so what are your 
plans? Like, what are you going to do? And Logan says, like, the worst, like, I'm going to go settle some scores, I guess. And she's like, oh, cool. I thought we maybe would, like, hang out or something, but. <laughs> That's giving her a little bit more credit than she probably deserves. Well, you could tell that I they both want as, each other yes, to say, feeling, stay yes. with me. Like, we could just hang out together. And neither one of them are going to say it. That's more fair. <laughs> Is She's, I think, in that moment just as, if not more externally sending the message of forget this we're over and i think that yeah you don't want to give pharaoh too much credit for being able to be vulnerable can I, oh but before that charles mm. can i can i give a quote kind of apropos of nothing from pharaoh it, it does have to do with logan but it's just an amazing sure. moment that deserves to be highlighted here. She's the only one who, I don't know if she's the only one, but she might be the only one who ever just questions one of Logan's ridiculous, <laughs> not ridiculous, a lot of them are, are great in their own context, but one of his axioms, mm. his sayings, where at one point he says to her, you can never have too many oh, knives. Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, no, what if you fall in a river and can't swim for all that iron? And we get, he looked puzzled for a moment. Then he shrugged and put it carefully back down a knife on the ground. Fair point. <laughs> it's like, it's like, and that's kind of this great moment from the perspective of like, Logan tells himself all these things that he thinks are just truisms. And he doesn't stop to actually consider wait, is it true that you can never have too many yeah. knives? He just accepts those as fact. But it's interesting because she's like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, and it's something and she that... she calls him it's, out yeah, for him, yeah. and he actually listens when she calls him out for it, which is good for Logan that it's more that, he, again, like, I think his intentions are good, Logan. Yeah. And he just, like, isn't aware of these patterns he has. And when he, they're questioned, like Pharaoh did here... He actually listens. Right. So, and I appreciate Pharaoh again cutting through all the BS. <laughs> she's, yes. she's like, what are you saying? You can never have too many <laughs> yes. knives. Like, that's a dumb <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> like, honestly. And it's not always true. So good for Pharaoh. To say it to Logan Nine Fingers, the bloody nine, no less. Uh, and to get him to be like, yeah, you're right. It's stupid. <laughs> Without any kind of argument it, it yeah. is pretty great. That's a great scene. And it's true. And it speaks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the best at um, yeah. detecting BS at anyone in this whole series. That's so, probably fair. Uh, Got to yeah. give her props for that. Her or, her or Glockta. Yes. But in different ways. Yes, yes. That's true. Glockta's, you know, pretty clever guy. But uh, Pharaoh's just got that instinct. <laughs> yes. And she'll, yeah. she'll and act quickly. And she, she won't, like strategize over True. it like Glockta. Glockta can't just run across a table and punch someone in the face. He, he's no. got to think about it for a little bit. Or Pharaoh's, Well, he can jab-jab. He, he can jab-jab. <laughs> With, With the cane, game. yeah, it's a he great reveal. To, yeah. But this is not a Glockta episode. You can go back and listen to our <laughs> Glockta episode where we yes. praise that scene. Uh, but a, we do get some Glockta moments in Last Argument of Kings, which is where we're at Great at this moment. Great the Union's at war. Pharaoh is trapped in Adjua. Jazal's uh, crowned king. Pharaoh bursts into laughter. She's kind of, tr- she's like cutting, she's seeing through all the BS of the Union, right? Which we, like, Abercrombie's been 
dumping on the union this whole time. They're supposed to be like this stagnant, like out of touch, bureaucratic, over bloated society. And Pharaoh's like the exact opposite of that. So she's trapped in the city. No one can come or go because of the war. And she's just she's just waiting for the return of Yolway to spirit her away from it. But until then, she's looking around like this is all dumb, dumb, dumb. And to the point where all she does is just watch the ships waiting for Yolway. And even when Giselle's crowned king, she's like not surprised. It's funny to her. Like she's <laughs> she's just like, oh, of course. These people would elect Jazal King. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. That's pretty much what's going on with Pharaoh for the early parts of Last Argument. I think there are some of these moments, like the one you mentioned with Severard, and then yep. a moment later with Glockta, I think. That, yeah, because really, at, at this point, she, she just needs get to. get a ton of time to shine. Yeah, you can tell it's like, one. okay, well, she needs to be at the end with the. Like, she needs to yeah. find the seed, but we have this whole book. <laughs> so it's like, what yeah. what do I do? Like, she's here already, and she has to be here at the end. So we we get a few moments like i do like the moment where you know glock does like trail everybody that was associated with bias see what you can find out and of course pharaoh immediately pulls a fast one on Sever- severod's trailing pharaoh pharaoh catches on and like turns it back on him he's got him pinned down and it's like why shouldn't i kill you right here and of course going right. back to for all you audiobook listeners out there to stephen pace he's 110 percent performance he's he's doing <laughs> several he's like i got uh, my birds my birds yeah. <laughs> and, and she's course. like what <laughs> it's like he's like why she's like why shouldn't i kill you right now and he goes my birds and that kind of like breaks her brain for a moment and she like has <laughs> like, a that's the yeah, best she, of god she, like has a flashback to her dad having birds or something and then she lets him go <laughs> which is an unusual moment of compassion that you might not expect from someone who's just so focused on violence and vengeance but is she really when she's willing to show compassion for someone who's clearly just trying to trail her and maybe even capture her or who knows what and she's just like okay see ya like go go feed yeah. your birds and it's, a, <laughs> and it's another moment where if we we're in logan's perspective we get to hear so much internal musing about how it was so hard for logan to resist the urge to be realistic but he had to do the right thing he just had to charles yeah. <laughs> and in pharaoh's perspective she doesn't give herself that same level of credit for being a good person in that moment that logan does and then we as readers have i think the natural instinct and definitely for me too especially on my first read and even subsequent reads after that it's hard to see some of pharaoh's good deeds for what they are when she's not we're that those aren't the words we're right. seeing uh, we're seeing the behavior but it's up to us to hear through pharaoh's justification to herself of why she did it that still paints her as a bad person Mm -hmm. while someone like Logan will tell you how, you know, I've had such a bad past, but I'm turning it around this one moment right here. And we're like, yes, you are Logan. You are. And and there is that like complexity to Logan. Whereas Pharaoh, she's, I guess got it all figured out to an extent like you know where she's she thinks she has it all figured out and she's very direct and there is no like other side to her character it's like she really wants vengeance 
she has devil blood. <laughs> like, there's nothing to balance her out. And she's trying to be a better person, or well, or she loses agency. But she... Like, it's... it's. I don't know. I, I think, though, Charles, she... I think she does have that side to she her. She does, but it's not she like... Just, it's not as... It's more implicit and it's less explicit. That's just the way that it the story's told. And you know she's trying to be a better person because she's taking action. Yeah, because be she's actually, person. like, letting people go. And, yeah. And she, and, and she thinks, like, oh, the fact that there'd be no one to feed his birds is a good enough reason for me. Like, it, 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 it which seems kind of silly for Pharaoh that she would... Someone as practical as Pharaoh, who remember she killed that horse at the beginning of the fellowship of the scene. Oh, yes. well, at least we <laughs> that... forget that, where it's just like, well, <laughs> I guess we just let the horses go. And she's like, no, slits <laughs> the horse's throat for meat. Scars <laughs> poor Jazal. So yeah. From yeah, well, from Jazal's, you're in Jazal's perspective during that one, and he's like, well, I guess eventually they'll find their way, and it kind of evokes this like there's moments like that in Lord of the Rings. Uh, that I won't get into, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this guy like, well, I'm sure they'll find their way eventually, and you know, this noble, and that's just <laughs> nope. Pharaoh she just, what was it? Kills the horse for meat. Yeah, like yeah. slits its throat or yeah. hits it with an axe or something. Oh, slits his throat. Yeah, uh, I think for that's right. for slits meat. Yeah, very brutal. But yep. she'll she'll let Severod go for the birds, and it's two different. You know, it's survival and. And you know that that horse would have never survived, so you may as well honor it or whatever, or get make use out of its death by using it for food. You know, I'm not trying to read that into Pharaoh's decision making. I'm not going to go that far, but at least there are those kind of implications. Um, We do also get, you know, we've been comparing Pharaoh and Glockta for a while now, and they actually do get one scene or a scene together where they're talking. And, you know, Pharaoh finds out through Severod that Glockta's asking about her, so she goes right to Glockta, and is Glockta's, like, in the bath or something? Or are they in a park? Yeah, I believe he, I believe he's in the bath. He's, like, like dunking him in water. (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah, and he's completely prepared, we're in Glockta's perspective, I believe. Yes. He's completely prepared to die during that moment. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's busy just waiting for it, and she just lets him go. And it's another, we don't get to be in Pharaoh's perspective even during this. So it's, like, easy when Glockta's telling you, I have no idea who this person is, but they had every reason to kill me, and they decide not to. That's weird, and I don't know how to explain it. It's easy to overlook that it was probably another moment of Pharaoh trying to be a good person when she had the chance. Yeah. And good on Pharaoh for that. And, you know, she probably, you know, she has a good read on people. I'm sure she saw that um, Glockta wouldn't, like, hunt her down and kill her for revenge for attacking him in the bath. You know, like, I think there's also some of that instinctual um, reading that Pharaoh has that she's just like, okay, well, we're just two people trying to figure out information. Like, let's exchange information and then let's go on our way. There's no need to kill each other here. And uh, that's never explicitly 
stated in Pharaoh's internal monologue, but it's what happens. And that's an important distinction for Pharaoh a bit. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just thought that this was an interesting scene because the two get right to it. <laughs> the two very direct people, sensible people. And they're like, look. I don't know if sensible <laughs> is fair for Pharaoh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sen- that's not the first word no, that comes to she's mind. No, she's not sen- sensible. But she's practical i guess pragmatic, pragmatic in some way and it's like yeah. look i'm just trying to find information about bias and she's like D- he's a horrible person and it's like cool <laughs> and so they uh they peace and that's kind of it we pharaoh gets the distinct privilege of discovering the seed in the house of the maker which is a big yeah. breakthrough and she becomes part of bias's combination of several different types of magic to basically defeat the Gurkish, which is uh, one of our favorite scenes of course uh it could not have been possible without pharaoh so gotta give her props there uh but then we get the end of pharaoh's arc right this prolonged exposure to the seed has yeah. left her altered she's hearing voices uh she's got these like superpowers where she was able to crush mamoon and run on water by freezing it underneath her feet. Um, it's kind of tragic. Like, we get this moment with Pharaoh and Logan where, like, Pharaoh is barely, like, talking almost like she's yeah. kind of lost her senses. He barely even acknowledges Logan's there. Logan is kind of confused by the whole thing. It was not a great experience for him. And she's clearly not the same person that she was before using the seed. But. One thing that I always thought was interesting was it ends with her ignoring the demon voices and going her own path towards Gurkle. And uh, I don't know, what do you make of the, what do you make of these last moments with Pharaoh? It's it's <laughs> <laughs> I'll say these last moments with Pharaoh they speak to me as really tragic yes. and they, I'm sure I'm not alone. I, yes. She ignores the voices or at least thinks she does. Mm-hmm. And I don't know for a character that clearly had a lot more under the surface going on for her than just wanting vengeance. The fact that she's in a place now where she has as good a chance as she's ever had to actually achieve vengeance is the fact that that's tragic, I guess, goes to show how there was more depth to Pharaoh and how Mm. we wanted more for her Mm. after all of this. Like we wanted her to come to peace with some of these aspects of her past that were horrible and maybe have a relationship with someone who fits well for her and, I don't know. It's like when a character gets exactly what they've said they wanted the whole time and you feel sad about it, it's, I don't know, it's tragic and it's a very classic Joe Abercrombie in a lot of ways. But I don't know. I think this one, it's just always wrung to me as as sad. And she's got this sense of like, no one's my master now. But it's like, I don't know, like, you're clearly under are, the influence of some you power. Are under, yeah. And how much longer can you resist, even if you are resisting right now? And it's alienating and, you from everyone. 
Exactly. Yeah. Logan tried to have a heart to heart with her in that moment. And who knows what could have happened with her and with Logan if she was in a place to actually hear that, which she wasn't because of the voices. So. Yeah, that's another thing because Logan was ready to express his feelings and. Right. And it was, just too, it was just too late. And she wasn't even registering it. She was so mm-hmm. focused on. She's like, Do you hear that? There's something. He-. And she's like looking around the room. And he's like, I- I'm trying to tell you that, you know, I you know, really enjoyed spending time with you. And she's like, Shoo, 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 shoo. You hear that? And, and it's like, oh, it, yeah. it, it, it's. It's such it's a sad. shame that this moment there couldn't be a connection in this in this moment, and like you said, Dylan, very very well, very true, is that she got every she got the power to achieve vengeance, but it's it's tragic, and I think yeah, she got what she wanted, Charles, but usually we don't root for characters to actually get what they want in the end we root for them to get what they need Mm -hmm. in the end and or i don't know we root for them to get what they want but for me personally and i think for a lot of other readers when a character doesn't get what they want and instead gets what they need Mm -hmm. that is very satisfying Mm -hmm. and i think of someone like brandon sanderson does that all the time. I won't say how to avoid (laughs) spoilers, but there's a reason why Brandon Sanderson has a reputation for these endings where he pulls everything together and it's satisfying to just about everyone who reads it. And you and I love Joe Abercrombie's ending. You were a little unsure about it during your first read. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of other people are unsure about the ending of the first law trilogy, especially after their first read. And I think that these kind of moments speak to why that happens for a lot of people where they, they want characters to get what they need in the end, not what they want. And Pharaoh got what she wanted. And it's and, and sad. It's, it's to almost see like the, it's the it character. Ended, even though it's she's, she like became the character we thought she was at the beginning of the book right like at the beginning of the book we just thought she was this revenge revenge crazy like violent person and we learn so much about her well not so much but we get we start to see more of what she's like beyond just this vengeful mission that she's on and then it all gets taken away and it's almost like oh we're all the way back to the beginning She's got everything she wanted, and now she's become like the stereotype that we thought she was at the beginning. And I think that's another just layer of the tragedy. It's like, okay, well, she ended up being what we expected of her in the beginning. You know, it's like uh, all this was, (laughs) what was all this for? Which is a question I asked myself quite a bit my first read through of the first law trilogy. (laughs) But (laughs) right, but it does. I think, and part of why she's not. Well, I don't know. I guess when I think of someone like Jazal's storyline, which has, I think, the same message at the end of I it. I think his is more tragic. <laughs> more. I don't know. Well, that's neither here nor there, whether which one is more tragic. But I'll say that the way that that arc comes to an end for Jazal is more satisfying to me than is the way that Pharaoh's arc comes to an end and you know joe abercrombie at least in a blog post that i vaguely remember (laughs) reading years ago so give me a little i'm sorry if i misrepresent any of this 
I remember him having some regrets about how he wrote Pharaoh as a character, especially how he wrote Pharaoh as a character as the only female point of view character in this series. And he's, you know, we're, we're reading best serve cold now, Charles, <laughs> and speaking of uh, well-written female point of view characters. Interesting to compare where... Mons Mon Carlo to Monza, Monza to, uh, to Pharaoh. But yeah, there's a, there's a conversation to be had there. There's a conversation. But we won't get to that today. We'll, we won't have yeah, it we won't because have it. <laughs> we will not spoil anything but beyond you are right. the first it's defin- trilogy. It's just not as strong as some other arcs in the end, and that's part right. of why I think Pharaoh needs vengeance, that we need to... Well, I don't know if she needs it, but... It, we wanted to. You and I sought to provide vengeance for her as a character because this ending, for me... It, wasn't what I was hoping for for Pharaoh as a character, but she does have all of these fantastic moments throughout the series oh, yeah. that we just discussed. She that drew blood on Baez. Come on. <laughs> that she deserves a lot of credit for that. And I hope, I don't know, Charles, if there's more you wanted to say um, on Pharaoh, well, but I, she's definitely of all the POV characters. She's got some of the least screen time and, and she's brought in the latest. Uh, we were even asking ourselves, can we talk for an hour about Pharaoh? And we did. The answer is yes. <laughs> yes, we can. And I knew we were going to do it because, I don't know, this is one of those characters that really benefited for me for the second read. We talked about it at the top of the episode. And this, this, I, this idea of the fact that she is up to 11 on all these vengeful things like what happens when she's not pursuing vengeance that and it's interesting what happens when she's not and she's doing things like she's doing things like freeing severard and and punching bias in the face and and like trying to make a connection with logan and tolerating jazal so like all of these things tolerating jazal <laughs> takes a lot of active effort yeah so I, she's not my favorite character, but she's the most improved for sure. Most improved on, uh, the, second on the second read. read. Yeah. I, yeah, she's the most improved as I, as I mentioned at the top of the show for me too, throughout the readings. And she had a while to go because that the first read doesn't really do her justice. I right. find uh, maybe I should, I'll go so far as to say it doesn't do her vengeance. <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe. Is that, is that the, <laughs> Does no. that make sense? <laughs> you know, I try to. Does it make sense? Don't overthink I, it. I, I, Just get the sweet, sweet after <laughs> music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think you know. I wasn't as strong as my. You know, it wasn't as strong as my Glock to close <laughs> If I'm being honest here, but I, I don't think in the end Pharaoh has the same level of a full arc that feels right. like so true. satisfying and true to the character or anything like that. But you look at someone like Glockta and when you look at the series as a whole and where he goes from the start to the end of it, and you see it from the perspective of a Joe Abercrombie novel rather than a, some of these. And so much of Glockta's themes of carry the themes so, of like his whole works right. or it's like, Oh, these right. like, 
we live in a, you know, like we try and do our little goods <laughs> like when we can. And, and, you know, this working through some of these hard things. And I don't want to get too into it because it's a Pharaoh episode. But Pharaoh's arc doesn't necessarily speak to this greater theme of like what first law is about. If you ask me, you know, maybe we should do a what, what is extent. the first law trilogy about? Uh-huh. That's my very Did original that? idea that I came up with. <laughs> Yes, it definitely is not. <laughs> it has nothing to do with my idea of the what is the Kinko Chronicle about. I'm sure. <laughs> but no, I think it'd be really interesting because we, we, we end up circling around it at the end of each of these episodes pretty much. And I think it'd be a great conversation. So I'd love to have that one, Charles. I do think it's a great I'm not sure if Farrah will come up I, a lot in that episode. Not but... a lot, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, who's... <laughs> I'm glad we're out there giving Pharaoh some That's time. That's true. To Guys, shine. we dedicated and, and an hour to talking about Pharaoh from the First Law trilogy. Come on. What? <laughs> this is for you, the First Law Validate fans. Validate Charles. Like, we're putting this, he who else it. is putting this kind of First Law content out there? And an hour for uh, Pharaoh. Don't make it about other people. <laughs> I'm making it about, you know, I'm I'm proud of the episode. I'm proud of, you know, that we were able to bring some to. vengeance to Pharaoh. Yeah, she's not necessarily our most beloved character, but she's not one that should be forgotten or talked about in a uh, totally poor light. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think she is a very strong character all in all. But when you compare her to. You know, we're talking about people like Glockta and Logan, and it's really hard to. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to want to be in Pharaoh's perspective on that first read when she has. She definitely has less layers than characters like yep. that, like Logan and Glockta. Where we have to be realistic about these things, Charles. Mm-hmm. Those are those are stronger, more compelling characters than Pharaoh, yeah. and it's okay. Yeah. And Pharaoh is still a character worthy of attention like you mentioned Charles and I'm glad we got to have this discussion I think the the arc goes out with a bit of a whimper which is why <laughs> the episodes started to feel like it went out with a bit of a whimper <laughs> here because it doesn't all come together right. there's no moment like that and that's just we'll have to deal with that you and I <laughs> and put this out there and hope people appreciate our effort to Get some vengeance for that's her. well said, sir. That just leaves us to talk about Wes at some point, and then we will have done every POV character and more. Right. And uh, that leaves us with the sweet, sweet outro music. Some, yeah, some people have also asked for side character us doing almost a multiple side characters. Mm. In an episode, oh, yeah. which I think I mean, is at least worth us talking, because let's you do Casca and Blackdow, and I mean, who else comes to Artie? Yeah, Artie. I, would I mean, love I'll, to do these Artie. Aren't side, these aren't side side characters. They're not they, POV characters. They're not POVs. Yeah, just like a non POV rapid fire. I mean, if we just did those three in an episode. 20 minutes on each honestly we could easily talk for 20 minutes on oh. each of those probably more yeah Artie, like come on Ar- 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 Artie is a presence a throughout the whole trilogy yeah. she's she's like in more scenes than pharaoh is <laughs> like, 
<laughs> Dao is in a lot too, and Dao is a really interesting I, complex yeah. character. Black Dao is less very scenes, complex. But he steals. Black Dao is yeah. very complex, yeah. and I, I that is an interesting conversation. Um, right, Casca uh, less scenes, but steals the spotlight every time yeah. he's on the page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we may as well just do them all individually, and like if it's a thirty-minute oh. episode, just put it out there. We could do like, that. Yeah, guys, come on. We do three episodes a week here. <laughs> start to, yeah, we, not gonna yeah, start yeah, grouping we'll, characters we'll be... together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, given how we love the the first law fan base has been so great to yeah. us. By the way, let me just say yeah. thank you to all of you first law fans out there, especially the ones still listening like an hour and fifteen minutes into our vengeance for Pharaoh <laughs> episode. Yeah. You all are the yes. best. We love the feedback we've been getting about these character profiles. It's truly an amazing honor. Yes, I guess yes. I feel like like I think that's true. Like, it's an honor for you and I, uh, Charles, to have the opportunity to just talk about first law characters yes. and have all these people who yes. enjoy listening. Yeah, to that. I mean, I love talking because about this. Is what yeah, we were yeah, doing yeah. before we ever were friends, talking fantasy, sitting for hours. And talking about you know, first we we talk about King Killer, Wheel of Time, Mistborn. We love all of those, but I really like. We've said this before, Abercrombie. Sp- speaks to us more directly than a lot of other authors do and i'm so glad that this just happened to be a series that people are happy to indulge us in releasing yeah. tons of content about yeah. because we we, we have so much to say about it and we're just thankful that there is a group of you out there along for the ride so <laughs> thank you yes, for letting us record so an much. episode to talk about nothing but pharaoh like <laughs> I, it was fun. It was fun, and I'm looking forward yeah. to all the other characters <laughs> in First Law that we haven't talked about yet. I'm talking West. I'm talking yeah. Black Down. I'm talking well, Artie. I'm talking Tosca. We can do these Tosca. for each of the point of views for all the stand. Yeah, we're too, about to. People are interested in that. Polls I mean, coming up quick yeah. for us, and oh yeah, we're and then it now. yeah, we're reading it now, and then when we finish this. Every book will be new to me for the first time after this. Yeah, so I know. I'm it's that gonna part be is huge. So it's gonna be huge. So I'm 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 excited to catch up. So, uh, but in order to do that, we got to go and read it. So I think there's nothing left to do here with good old Pharaoh but to play that uh, sweet sweet outro music. <laughs> Let's get the sweet sweet outro music, okay. bumping Charles. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. This has been your co-hosts, Charles and Dylan. If you like what you heard today, give us a follow on Twitter over at the FTF Podcast with the number one on the end. We'd love to hear your thoughts, interact with you there. It's a place we love to chat. We're also on Instagram at the FTF Podcast. And Dylan, if they are if, if we have a listener who's listening and they're really enjoying the show okay. and they want to support the show even more and they just so happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, what can they do? Toss five stars to our podcast. Oh, just find that Friends Talking Fantasy page on the Apple Podcast app. Scroll down past any episodes you're seeing until you start seeing stars. Once you're seeing stars, the optimal number of those to click to support the show would be five of them. If you have a little bit of extra time and you want to go that next step of supporting the show, then writing a review is extremely helpful for a podcast like ours and helping people find the show and all that kind of stuff. But just listening is 
more than enough <laughs> letting us ramble on about Pharaoh for an yeah. hour. And we cannot hit plus. the hour That's... 20 minute mark. Thank you all so much for listening. <laughs> we can't hit the hour and 20 minute mark on a okay. Pharaoh episode, so we got to end it right now. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.